Anytime I went to church talking about money or hearing messages about money, I hated talking about money. I hated hearing messages about money and I hate what money did to people and actually still continues to do to people where it separates people into different classes and categories. Even in the church, sometimes we have different groups of people based on their socioeconomic background. And so I hated hearing and talking about money and I hate what money did to people. And so then when the church began to talk about generosity, I would have this emotional and visceral reaction to money. In fact, when there were messages that were gonna be talking about money, I wanted to throw up in my mouth. I even feel that way wearing this jersey right now, actually. Happy Monday, my friends, and welcome back to the Live Church Canton podcast. My name is Sam. I'm the host for the show. Thanks for listening. Uh, I had an experience this weekend that I wanted to share with y'all. Um, my job at the church is I'm often in the sound booth doing, uh, you know, various number of different things. But I, uh, guy came up to me and I, I met somebody that uh, had been listening to the podcast and I and I didn't know him before and that was really encouraging to me and. Um, I just wanted to let you guys know again why we even are doing this at all. And, uh, you know, this gentleman shared with me that he has a, a work schedule that sometimes he has to work on the weekends and uh, can't always make it to church. So the podcast helps him connect uh, to God during the week. And um, my hope that is that my hope is that that is what is happening for you as well, that maybe you have a long commute or um, a, a different work schedule. And this is giving you an ability to, to connect. So um, that's the heart of this. Um, here's Jared. We're in our, our series called 2020 Vision. This message is on generosity. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Life Church. I can explain this. Uh, I don't feel happy about this either. Uh, I am a Vikings fan. I know it doesn't look that way. If you're watching online right now, you don't have to adjust your screen. This is uh, a reality. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was talking with an individual from this church, uh, very invested in this church, but just has a lot of sin in his life. Um, and, uh, and we were talking about the Vikings-Packers game, and I said, hey, I'm pretty confident in my Vikings. If they win, you're gonna wear a Vikings shirt to work someday. And, uh, and he said, well, if the Packers win, you're going to win a Packers jersey the next time you preach. This is that day. Uh, so we're, here we go. I'm eating crow here. It's, it, it is what it is. I don't really want to talk about it. I want to move on. All right, we are in a series called 2020 Vision. And right now, your vision is getting a little blurry. Uh, just looking at me, I'm sure. And uh, I can understand that. No, but we are, in all seriousness, we're in a series called 2020 Vision we're talking about this idea that God is calling us to more, more than we can ask or imagine. And it's an exciting thing to talk about. One of the things that we know for certain, because when you think about this verse, more than we could ask or imagine, which means we can't imagine it yet. We have to have the eyes and the vision and the view of God in order to be able to see what it is that he's calling us to. But one of the things that we know for certain is that he is calling us to more in discipleship. And if you didn't hear last week's message from Pastor Nathan, it's a great message about discipleship and about the life journey, which John just talked about. You can sign up for right now on the Now page if you are interested in getting connected. We believe that discipleship is actually going to be the thing that takes this church into the future and sustain us for next generations. And not only this church, but discipleship is key for all churches. It has to exist in churches in order for the church 
to maintain itself and thrive. And so we're excited about that. But also we're talking about God calling us to more in generosity and in stewardship and ultimately in celebration. And so today what I'm going to talk about is this idea of God calling us to more in generosity. Yes, I'm going to be talking about money. Can we just get one big collective sigh in the room? One, two, three. Okay, all right. And some of you do legitimately feel that way when the church starts to talk about money. But would you believe me if I told you that there are actually some in our midst and some even watching online who actually have a sense of excitement and joy and anticipation when talking about money and talking about generosity. And some even who are actually really excited to give their money, to be generous in a variety of different ways and even, even to Life Church. But we recognize that, that money causes a lot of different emotions. It causes an emotional reaction, especially when we talk about it in church. Now, for me, I grew up in church all my life, uh, went to church almost every single weekend that I can remember. I, I can't remember a weekend where I didn't go to church. Uh, and I heard millions, uh, probably, uh, messages or at least comments about money in the church. And so I have a variety of different emotions. But if I could just guess the emotional pulse on, uh, on the people in the room right now or those of you watching online, my sense is that it's one of a couple different things. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's apathy. Anxiety. You are afraid of what I'm about to say about money and generosity. Maybe it's, it's anger. You're upset that Jared would even talk about money in the church. Or maybe it's apathy. You just don't care what I'm about to say. And so maybe you're in that place. You just want to check out. And I get it. I, I get it because I feel and have felt the same way anytime I went to church talking about money or hearing messages about money. I hated talking about money. I hated hearing messages about money. And I hate what money did to people and actually still continues to do to people where it separates people into different classes and categories. Even in the church, sometimes we have different groups of people based on their socioeconomic background. And so I hated hearing and talking about money, and I hate what money did to people. And so then when the church began to talk about generosity, I would have this emotional and visceral reaction to money. In fact, when there were messages that were going to be talking about money, I wanted to throw up in my mouth. I even feel that way wearing this jersey right now, actually. It smells like cheese and beer. No, that's, that's really how I felt about messages about money as well. I wanted to just roll my eyes and check out altogether. And so I, I realize where some of you might be at. I want you to know that as I was preparing this message, in a sense, I had you in mind, but actually, really, I had myself in mind. Or more specifically, I had my 18-year-old self in mind. And, and there's a reason for that. Like, I, I have to take some responsibility for that. To be fair, I had an unhealthy view of money all growing up. A very unhealthy view, a jaded view of money. And on the top of that, we just didn't have a lot. Or at least compared to the people that I knew that were in my life. Other cousins or families or, or friends around me always seemed to have more than we did. And so I was constantly comparing myself to other people and feeling like, oh, we just don't have very much. And so I had an unhealthy view of money. Whenever I had money, I spent it immediately. 
I had no plan. I had no strategy for money, an unhealthy view of money. So I take responsibility for the emotions that I feel when I hear messages about money, especially in the church. But some of that, some of that has to do with the messages that were given in church. And some of you know what I'm talking about. If you grew up in church and you heard messages about money, there's a lot of bad messages about money out there in churches. There just are. Like really bad theology and manipulative messages about money. Pastors would say really harmful and damaging things like, hey, if you just give more today, well, you will get 10 times back or 100 times back or whatever. You will get blessed if you give more. Or they would say, hey, if you give more today, you're going to get that new BMW or you're going to get that job promotion or you're going to get that new job or whatever uh, good thing was going to happen. They would use that as a carrot to, to draw you into generosity, which is just bad theology and it's manipulation is what it is. And then even more so, sometimes they would actually utilize the scriptures, but they would misuse the scriptures. They would go to verses in in Malachi, the Old Testament prophet, and say, hey, this is the place where God says, test him. Test him in your giving. This is the only place in the Bible where God says, test him. And so I I, I tell you what, if you don't test him, uh, then that means you don't have enough faith. And then I would actually question your, your salvation. But hear these kinds of messages growing up. And still to this day, you can hear these messages. You can Google messages about money and you're going to hear some of these manipulating bad theological messages about money. And it comes from a place of greed and fear and just wanting more, even in the church. And so I get the emotional, visceral reaction that we have when it comes to talking about money in the church. There's an emotional response to it. I want to tap into that emotion just a little bit more because I think that's an important thing that we need to talk about here this morning. So I want to try an experiment with you, and you can try this at home if you're watching online as well. But I want you to do me a favor. Go ahead and take out your wallet or your purse, or if you don't have either of those things, maybe something uh, uh, that's valuable to you. Maybe it's a cell phone or something like that. Just take that out. Hold on to it for just a second. Everybody get that out. And what I want you to do, just trust me on this, I want you to pass it to the person on your right. Go ahead and give that away. All right, so already there's some emotions attached to what's going on here, all right? A lot of laughter, probably some nervous laughter. How much do you trust the person on your right? How much do you trust them? Okay, so just in case, I want to make sure that we really feel the weight of this illustration. Maybe you just passed it to a spouse and you're like, that's okay, I give them my money all the time. Um, I want to make sure you feel this. So go ahead, trust me, now pass it one row back, okay? Just one row back. All right. Now we're getting to feel a little uncomfortable here. Okay, Jared, what are you doing? I get it. You made your point. Can I have my stuff back? Now, nobody leave the room now, okay? Nobody nobody just get up and walk out. Oh, oh, I guess I had another meeting I had to go to. Some of you are feeling really nervous. Maybe you don't even know where your stuff is right now, and so you're feeling the weight of that. Some of you are looking at the thing that was handed to you, and you're like, this is more than I have. This is great. I like this. Keep going, Jared. This is awesome. Uh, Okay, now we're going to receive an offering, and so give generously whatever you have. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But just stay with me for a moment. How do you feel? What are you feeling? Pay attention 
to your body sensations. Maybe you're getting sweaty. Maybe your pulse is going up. Do we have any doctors or nurses in the room? Just in case, we need to pay attention to that. Take an account of your emotional state. And hold on to that thought. Now you can get your valuables back, okay? If you want to, you don't have to. Maybe you do want to be generous this morning with that person that has your stuff. Some of you gave a cell phone away and now you're desperately checking your text. I missed a whole two minutes of text messages. I have to get back online. It's a scary thought. Now pay attention to those emotions. Take an account of what you feel or what you felt. And then I want you to hear this verse, maybe in a new way if you've heard it before. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. What do you feel? What are your emotions attached to money and your possessions and your valuable things? See, for the longest time, uh, as a pastor, I, I always wanted to be the pastor that was able to give a, a message about money that was able to skirt around the emotional attachment to this. I always wanted to be able to give a message about money that wouldn't produce anxiety and anger and apathy. I was like, no, I'm going to be the one that can do that. And, and I'm going to set the room at ease and, and we're all going to feel a sense of peace until I realized, especially after reading multiple scriptures, I realized that actually a message about money is a message about emotions. A message about our money and the things that we hold near and dear to us is a message about our emotions. We naturally have an emotional attachment to this. See, and I get it, right? Like, if you think about our culture and our economy that we have been brought up into for a majority of us, if we grew up in America, uh, we have been breathing the air of an economy and a culture that is centered around getting more and calling it mine. But then you step into a church and you begin to hear uh, the inverse of all of that. You hear about the kingdom of God and it's not so much about getting more and calling it mine, but actually the kingdom of God is about giving more away and calling it God's. Or actually, not even just calling it God's, but recognizing that it was all God's to begin with in the first place. And so, of course, we're going to have an emotional reaction to this because it's bucking the system that you and I were born into. There's going to be an emotional reaction to that. And so I think this verse is so important. See, this verse is one of the most often misquoted verses, I think, of all time where people say that money is the root of all evil, right? You've probably heard people say this. Money, yeah, money's just horrible. Money's the root of all evil. I hate money because it's the root of all evil. It's not what it says. Don't blame the money. Don't blame some inanimate object. No, blame your relationship to it. It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil. Now that word love, we have to talk about for just a second because it's not the kind of love that we necessarily associate with the love of Christ who, who died for me and rose again for me. It's, it's not that kind of love. It's not even the kind of love that we talk about in marriages. It's not the kind of love that we talk about in relationships and friendships. This is a different kind of love. It's a Greek word uh, that specifically is attached to money. 
So you, so you have to have that whole phrase together, the love of money. And what that word ultimately means is greed. It's a Greek word, philagria. Gria, gre- greed. <laughs> the wealth, the accumulation of wealth. Getting more, getting more. He says that is the root of all evil. Getting more and calling it mine. It's mine. I want to read the verse, uh, or the section of verses in all of its context, if I can. Let me read a little bit more. Starting in verse 6. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be, what's that word? Content. I don't think that's a word we use in our culture very much. Let me continue to read. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Pay attention to to the words Paul is using here. Enough. Trap, temptation, foolish, harmful, plunge, ruin, destruction, evil, pierced, sorrow. Like this is filled with words that naturally bring about an emotional reaction. A message about money is a message about our emotions. And Paul is giving us all kinds of perspective here. Hey, you came into this world with nothing, you leave with nothing. He gives them perspective. But then he uses some subjective language here. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. What's enough? How do we know? He doesn't tell us. And so I think it's important to talk about our relationship to money, but I would say that's regardless of how much money you have. In most cases, I would say this doesn't have anything to do with the amount of money in your bank account. No, it's how you relate to it. See, all of these verses point to this idea that this is about a condition of our hearts. How do we relate to money? There's a relational component to our money and to our possessions. Paul's getting at the heart of this, and he's calling us into contentment. And it's all about the condition of our heart. Well, what do we know about the heart? Well, Daniel gave a message a couple months ago, and he said, the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can even understand it? And so this is something that we have to pay attention to. And then when we look at words like enough and contentment, we have to figure out what what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Contentment is one of those hard things in our culture because it's a a discipline. It's, It's something that we have to train ourselves in something we have to work toward, and eventually it can become a state of being. But it takes time, and it takes discipline, and we in our culture, we do not like discipline. We don't like having to pay attention to something and work at it. Unless, of course, it's going to benefit us and my life and my benefits and my blessings. See, contentment is not just for us, it is, but it's actually for the benefit of others. 
That's that upside-down thinking of the kingdom. And how we relate to our money flows out of our ability to be content. Contentment. Let me ask a greater question. What is the source of that contentment if it's not the money, if it's not the possessions? Regardless of the amount that we have, what is the source of our contentment? Well, this is where we get the Sunday school answer if you grew up in church. It's Jesus. Jesus is absolutely the source of our contentment. It has to be. It has to be. And Paul knows what he's talking about as he writes to Timothy. He talks about the source of his contentment, and the way that he puts it is uh, to another letter to the church in Galatia. And he says it this way. He says, this is how I relate to the source of my contentment. These are my words right now. This is how I relate to that source. This is what I think about that source. He says it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. That's a bold statement. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. It's all about perspective for Paul. What's Paul saying here? I I am not my own anymore. My whole life is not my own. My money, my possessions, my cell phone, my bank account, my 401k, none of that is my own anymore because my whole life now has actually been bought with a price from Christ Jesus who loved me and gave himself, who was ultimately generous for me on my behalf. This is a whole new paradigm shift that Christ gave his whole self so that we would give our whole self to him and allow him to live in and through us. How does this actually play out? It's nice to say, it's it's nice to even believe that way, but how does that actually play out in our everyday lives? Well, let's look at the first church, the early church, and see how they dealt with it in the book of Acts. It says this in chapter 4, verse 32. It says that all the believers were united in heart. This is a heart condition. They were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. How do you get to a place of generosity? How do you get to that place? How do you just give up all of your stuff and share it with everybody? It's when you have Jesus as the source of your contentment. And God's spirit takes over. And then you get this new sensation, this new emotional feeling, because it says they felt, they felt that what they owned was not their own. So God transforms us by the renewing of our mind, yes, but also by the renewing of our emotions and our heart condition. He wants to give us a new heart. And out of that heart, flows a different kind of activity. The way we behave, the way we speak to one another, the way we spend our money, even the way we make our money flows 
out of our relationship to Jesus. It's all interconnected. And this is how it affects the people in the first century. See, generosity still here for the people of God is still assumed, right? We're, not talking, we're still not talking about amounts. We're not talking about percentages. We're not talking about what's in your bank account, what you give. We're not talking about any of that. We're still just simply talking about the condition of our heart. But here is the reality is that generosity for the people of God, at least, is still just assumed. It's assumed. It's a given. It's woven into the very fabric of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so if indeed it is a matter of the heart, and if it does affect our emotions, how does that play out? Well, Paul speaks to yet another church about that. He writes to the Corinthian church. And he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. He says, you must each decide in your, what's that word again? Heart, how much to give. Still doesn't give an amount. But he tells us what to do with that. And now he speaks to the emotions. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Or in response to some pastor who wants to misuse scripture and manipulate you. Or in response to some threat or obligation. He says, no, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Cheerfully. Greek word there is the word that we get hilarious. (laughs) God loves a hilarious giver. It's hilarious for me to pull out my wallet and look at it and be like, yeah, this actually really isn't mine. This is God's to begin with. And so I'm going to give it away. (laughs) That's hilarious. Feels a little hilarious to give sometimes, even when it's hard. See, what Paul is not saying here is that it's not going to be hard. He doesn't say that, but he does ask you to check your emotions and to check the condition of your heart. See, giving is still a sacrifice. One pastor told me, and this is a pastor I trust, told me once that, yeah, sometimes giving, it it should hurt a little bit. Because we're we're still in that, that dual that dualistic thinking of, yes, I am bought with a price, and yes, I am I'm crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, and, and yet I'm still in this body. And so there's that duality there. Like, I'm not fully yet renewed in the way that Christ wants to make me. He's still working on me. It's still a process. And so there's this balance of walking with God and trusting in the Holy Spirit to guide me. And so you still feel that that pinch a little bit when you do decide to give. But the condition of your heart should be one of joy, one of cheer, one of hilarity, if you will. It's going to affect our emotions. But don't give under obligation. Don't give because it's a sense of duty. Or don't give so that you can somehow get more back because that's not promised. You might get more a sense of trust, more peace, more joy. And some of you have shared stories where you did physically get more money back or just the amount that you received. That does happen. I don't want to discount that, but don't let that be your motivation for being a generous person. So how does this play out? How do we do this? How do we live this out? I want to give a bold statement. If I haven't already, (laughs) I'll give another one. That unless you believe 
and agree with that statement that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. Unless you believe that, and you're sitting in this room or you're watching online, I actually don't expect you to be a generous person. I don't expect it. I, I, I don't know that you might still be a generous person. You, you may be a generous person, but I don't expect you to be a generous person if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. If you don't believe in that statement or agree with that statement that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. If you're not a Christian, do what you want with your money. Of course, you should. You, you, you have subscribed and been born into a culture that says it's all about getting more and calling it mine. I expect you to feel that way. Absolutely, I do. But if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you agree with that statement that I have been crucified with Christ and I am no longer my own, I want to talk to you for just a moment. And I want you to wrestle with some things. Because again, there's a lot of subjective statements from Paul. Contentment is deciding in your heart and giving, deciding in your heart is, is, is what, you, what you decide to give and that's a condition of your heart and enough is, well, what's enough? Well, that's up to you to decide. I want you to wrestle with a couple of questions. I'm gonna put them on the screen. If, if you want to uh, journal these or write these down if you have pen and paper or if you just wanna grab your phone and take a picture of these because I think it's also important not just that you internalize these as an individual but if you have family, if you are married, uh, and you want to talk about these together, I would encourage you to do this. Because before we can even talk about becoming generous, we first have to look at the condition of our heart. And so I want to do an inventory of the heart, if you will. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to ask these questions of yourself. Are you experiencing more contentment with each new day? Are you content? Do you have enough and if so, is it causing you to be a generous person? Here's another question. What is your current relationship with money? How would you categorize it? And is that relationship flowing out of your contentment? How is all of this affecting your generosity? For our experiment early on, when you gave your wallet away, if you weren't, if you didn't get that back, or at least just the money in it, I'm not talking about your driver's license and your uh, insurance card, I'm not talking about that, just maybe just the money that was in your wallet. If you were to give that away to that person who maybe you didn't know or you did know, would you expect it back? The person that has sin in their life and gave me this jersey to wear this weekend, um, he told me yesterday, he said, that's yours, you can keep it. I said, I don't need it, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I, I'm going to give it back. Or I might accidentally you know, burn it in the back of the church after we're done here. But he told me last night, he's like, no, use that as an illustration. It'll totally work. I said, no, people are going to leave the church then if that's the case. He said, I, I really do give, give it to you. I'm, I'm giving it to you. And I said, no, that's okay. I'm going to give it back, I promise. But it's this idea of giving something away knowing that you might not get it back. What does that do to you? Or when you give money to the church and you're like, I, 
I, I have an idea of where that money is going, and I would like to hear more about where that money is going. And, and we always, as pastors, we try to do a good job of telling you how this money is being used and how your giving is being used. But even if you didn't know, what would that do for you? Would you still give? Would you still be generous? If you didn't know what you were going to get in return. Or if you didn't know that you weren't going to get anything in return. Generosity is a condition of the heart. Now, I want to be clear here. I'm still talking to the believers in the room, the Christians, the people who call Life Church their home, who uh, call Jesus their own, right? You've been crucified with Christ. I'm still talking to you for just a moment. You still belong to Christ, and yet you still have possessions. You still have money. And so I'm not, I'm not up here to try to tell you that those two things are separate. No, they're still related. And so what that means then is as a follower of Jesus, it still matters what you do with that money. You still have to uh, use wisdom and, and maybe even set goals and strategies. I mentioned when I got money, I spent it the moment I had it. I, I had my first job at the age of 14. I begged groceries. And I think minimum wage at the time was $5.35. I have no idea where that money went. The moment I got it, I spent it on something, probably candy and pop or something. I, I don't even know. But I had no strategy. I had no, no forethought into what I was doing with that money. And so in a lot of ways, that's why I'm preparing this message for my 18-year-old self or even my 14-year-old self. And so young people in the room right now, if you're starting to maybe get a part-time job, starting to earn some money, I would caution you actually proactively start to think about what would you do with that money? Some of you, maybe even in adulthood, struggle with that. You wonder each day, like, maybe you, you have an income, maybe you feel comfortable with that income, but yet you don't know where that money is going. And it's just kind of day-to-day, -day, sort of reactive. If you're in that place, I want to help you. We want to come alongside you because you might belong to Jesus, but how you Steward your money still matters. And we're actually going to talk about that next week, what stewardship looks like. But we want to help you. We want to come alongside you. And so if that's you, you might want to consider signing up for Financial Peace University, which you can sign up right now on your now page, or you can go and talk to the people out in the lobby. But they're going to give you tools to, to maybe get at some debt or to create a budget and ultimately to make some goals. And here's the thing. If you are more organized in your finances... It doesn't necessarily mean you make more money, but now you know where it's going and you have a strategy, you have a plan, and then if you have a plan, you can actually be freed up to be more proactively generous. And then you're able to give from a place of cheer and joy because you know what God is doing in and through you and through your finances. As opposed to having no idea where your money's going, and then coming into a church setting and hearing from somebody who says, hey, you should be more generous, and then you're like kind of acting reactively and like, well, I probably should give, but I don't even know what's in my bank account right now, and I don't know what bills I have coming this week, but I, I'm still a believer in Jesus, and so I should give my money. No, 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 no. No, we want you to be organized, and so we want to come alongside you and help you in that way. So that's one tip. The second tip is this, call on the Holy Spirit. Call on the Holy Spirit to help you. I mentioned Paul has so many subjective terms in here. Enough, 
Decide in your heart. Well, how do you decide in your heart? And what do you do if the heart is desperately wicked above all things and who can even understand it? Well, guess what? When we say yes to Jesus, he gives us a new heart. And he comes into our lives through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You and I, follower of Jesus, we have to be in daily, constant communion and fellowship with the Holy Spirit in order to make decisions. Because we are not our own anymore. And so we trust the Holy Spirit to guide us, lead us, and direct us in that. And some of you, we all need the Holy Spirit, but some of us need the Holy Spirit specifically in the area of healing, me included. Growing up, not having a lot of money, having a very unhealthy view of money, and then having anger, anxiety, and apathy all in one. Anytime I would hear a message about money, I needed the presence of the Holy Spirit to heal and to be comforted. Some of you, you're followers of Jesus, you're doing everything you can. You're making a budget, you're setting goals, and yet you still feel like you just can't get your head above water. And then something unexpected happens and you're like, God, what is happening? I'm doing everything that I know to do. I just want to say I'm sorry. That's a hard place to be and I've been there more times than I can count. And I actually don't have any tools for you right here and now, but I do know that the Holy Spirit is one who can provide counsel and comfort along with the community of believers. God doesn't want us to be in that place of constant anxiety and fear and worry. And so we've got to all come together in communion with the Holy Spirit. And now I want to talk to those of you who don't necessarily consider yourselves followers of Jesus. Maybe you heard that statement, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. And you're like, that's crazy talk. That sounds weird. Why would I want to give my life over to somebody else and trust them with it? And so that sounds a little odd to you, but then you, maybe you latched on to the last part of that phrase. Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. He was the initiator of the generosity so that you could have life. And maybe you latched on to that statement. And you're like, you know what? I do need to put my hope in someone else. I need to find contentment in Jesus. And if that's you, I would invite you to pray with me. I want to invite all of us to come together and pray. Would you stand with me if you are able? And for those of you watching online, I want to invite you to pray as well. Let's pray together. God, I'm mindful of the people in the room right now have not necessarily given their lives over to you who have not agreed with that statement that I've been crucified with Christ for any number of reasons. Maybe it's fear or doubt, skepticism about who you are. God, I pray that they would encounter your love in a brand new way. And that we would understand that you first and foremost came to us and gave yourself to us. And so if that's you, I would invite you to pray. God, I do want to surrender my life to you. And I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and to give me a new heart 
and a new way to live. And for the rest of us in this room, God, I I pray for any of us who are feeling anxiety or apathy or anger when it comes to our finances, God, that you would continue to work on our heart. Give Give us a new heart. Renew our hearts. Shift our emotions. So that we might become more and more generous people that flows out of our contentment in you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, you can text I'm New to 734 349 3475 or fill out the form linked in the show notes below and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you might be listening to it. Um, And if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.